verse 14 and ending with verse 20. Hear the word of our Lord. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. O Lord, use your servants' lips and your people's ears and hearts that they may be wed, that the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen and amen. It's time. Well, we all know about time. There are different sorts of time, and we pay attention to the time sometimes better than others. You know that we have kind of a fixation with chronos, with chronology. And in the United States, if you have an appointment at 2.30, then generally you are expected to arrive at 2.30 or 2.25. It actually isn't that way in many parts of the world. In some parts of the world, if uh, church begins at 2.30 in the afternoon. People will wander in at 2.45, 3 o'clock, 3.30, 4 o'clock, and we have a, maybe a tendency to be a little more lenient when we realize that some of them are wandering in, walking from 10 or, or 15 or 20 miles away. But Kronos, this, this time, this Time that we wake up or time that we go to bed, this day that we celebrate our birthday, the time that passes in between different parts of our lives, the chronology, the kind of time that we think about when we look at our watches. Some of us are really good at that and some of us are not. For those of you who are terrible at like getting up in the morning, there's help with that. You can get help for that. I have an alarm on my phone that will continue to go off until I go and scan a barcode that is on my bathroom mirror. And so, if you have some trouble with chronology, you can do that. Now, I didn't do the barcode thing this morning. This morning, I had two math problems that I had to solve which required that I know that in the order of operations, multiplication comes before addition. When I told Melinda about that, she said, well, there are a lot of people who would never get their alarm to go off because 
math students don't always recognize the order of operations. But, but that's chromos. That is chronology. That's something happens at this time or something happens at that time. Or my birthday is on the 3rd of April or whatever. Chronos is the time that's on the calendar, that's on our watch. And then there's Kairos. Kairos is what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about time. It's the right time. It is the proper time. It is a favorable, appropriate, fixed time, opportune moment. A Kairos moment means that it's just at the right time. As we look back on American history, we might think, what would have happened if Abraham Lincoln had been born 40 years prior to the date of his birth? What would our nation look like if Abraham Lincoln had been born 50 years after he was, as it turns out from the perspective of history? The nation as we know it is the nation as we know it because Abraham Lincoln was president at a Kairos moment at the right time. He was the right person for the right time. And so we find out in John or in Mark that after John was arrested Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time Kairos is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, in Matthew, Mark, and John, the movement of Jesus from from Judea to, to Galilee occurs around the time that John the baptizer is arrested. Around the time that it has something to do with, with John this movement from one part of the country to another part of the country. As I have mentioned before, whenever I show you Israel, if you know nothing else about the Holy Land, I want you to recognize, number one, the big Mediterranean Sea over here to the west, and then we have Israel, north to south, this narrow piece of land. And if you can learn to identify two geographical features, then you can figure out where most of the Bible is taking place. Up north we have the Sea of Galilee, the Freshwater Sea. In between the north and the south, we have the Jordan River that runs directly down from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. And then here we have the lowest point in the world, the Dead Sea. Now, John is baptizing up here, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are in this area. He's baptizing along the shores of the River Jordan. That's where Jesus starts off with his baptism. But from verse 1 of Mark chapter 1 to verse 13 of Mark chapter 1, that's where we are right there. Now starting in verse 14, Jesus makes the move up to the Sea of Galilee. And we can also see that the Sea of Galilee, uh, Nazareth is between the Mediterranean Sea, the Sea of Galilee. We've got the city of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. And then if you go right up to about about 12 o'clock on the Sea of Galilee, you find the city of Capernaum, which 
if you go there today, has one of those signs like Boyle County and, and Danville ha- has the signs, home of so-and-so. Uh, Capernaum, the hometown of Jesus, the sign says. So we see that Jesus actually makes a move. And as he makes that move from the south to the north, he issues what in in grammatical terms is called an imperative. Now, if you use too many imperatives, your friends and your family are going to call you bossy. An imperative is when you tell somebody to do something. Take out the garbage is an imperative. Feed the dog. Stop talking. We've got a couple of imperatives here that Jesus offers. And the first of these is He says to people, repent. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn from your previous way of life. Your old conviction. Those practices that you're accustomed to. Your primary affiliations. Turn. And turn to the Lord that the law and the prophets anticipated. Turn to the Lord who has now appeared on the scene and who has promised us in so many words that He is here wherever two or three are gathered in the name of the Lord. He is here. Jesus is in this place. So one of the imperatives that he gives is to repent. Turn from your old ways of life, your old affiliations, your old practices and customs. And the second is to believe. And the content of that belief is fairly simple. The content of the belief is believe in the good news. Now you probably have seen some churches that would lead you to believe that the gospel is not good news. There is the one particular church which gets far more publicity than its 35 or 40 members would warrant. Westboro Baptist Church that pickets and all of the signs are just incredibly hateful signs and they hold the signs and smile believing in their hearts that all but the 35 or 40 of them are bound for hell and their smiles make it clear that they're pretty happy about that. Interesting thing about the Westboro Baptist Church, their founder, Fred Phelps, was excommunicated from that church before he died. He was excommunicated because he thought that church members should be nicer to one another. Believe, Jesus says, believe the good news. Now, this phrase, the good news, the gospel, appears again and again in Mark. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we know from the very first verse, if you're reading Mark, and if you haven't read the Bible in a long time, if you're looking for some place to start, the book of Mark is not a bad place. 
It's a pretty concise book with only 16 chapters, and it tells the story of the gospel of Jesus in a, in a pretty, pretty short and sweet way. And it starts off recognizing what it is. It is the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, We find when the disciples who say, we've left all kinds of things. Jesus says to the disciples ten chapters later, truly I tell you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now that with persecutions there reminds us that it's not a cakewalk being a Christian. It reminds us that we don't get everything we want, We develop these problems that we wish we didn't have, arthritis in our knees and gout in our toes. But we also know that the people in the world around us don't always understand what it means as we live according to the gospel. In the 14th chapter of Mark, a woman comes with an alabaster container of perfume and pours it out upon Jesus and Jesus says she has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for its burial and truly I tell you wherever the good news wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world what she has done will be told in remembrance of her Jesus and the gospel writers recognize This story is not a story for first century Canaan, Palestine, Israel. This is a story that is going to go to the ends of the world, that the whole world is going to learn of this woman whose alabaster jar is poured out for the sake of Jesus Christ. And of course, by the end of the gospel, it ends very much like it starts. The beginning of the gospel, chapter 1. The ending of the gospel, he says to them, go into the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. Now, St. Francis took this fairly literally and St. Francis went out and preached to the birds. There are some interesting characters in church history. He preached to the birds, and when people asked, why are you preaching to the birds? He says, if I don't, who will? Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, the good news. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. So what we're talking about today is knowing. Knowing that it's time, that it's not just chronological time, it's not 11.15 and time to go to church, but it is time. 
Jesus Christ, the second person of Trinity, of the Trinity, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, has entered into history, and he's calling these disciples. Now, in ordinary times, disciples would choose what teacher to follow. So, if you are a young person who wants to follow a rabbi, you would look at the rabbis who were available and then you would choose and ask if, if you could follow them, if you could be a part of what their life was like, what their teaching was. But here, it's the teacher who calls the pupil. Here it is the Master and the Lord who calls the disciple. Uh, let's go back to the Old Testament and see another place where this happens. It happens with Elijah and Elisha in 1 Kings chapter 19. So Elijah set out from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing. There were twelve yoke of oxen ahead of him, and he was with the twelve. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. He passed by and took his ministerial robe and put it on Elisha. He took that symbol of prophecy and he put it on Elisha. Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I'll follow you. And Elijah said, go back again. But what have I done to you? And he returned from following him took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. Using the equipment from the oxen, he boiled their flesh and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out and followed Elijah and became his servant. Now pay attention to what Elisha does. Elisha, the farmer, is called by Elijah and dismantles his tractor. He takes the oxen with which he is doing his work and he slaughters them so that there's no option of going back again. The old life has passed. The new life has begun. Now, just an aside, <laughs> the week before last, you know I love cuisine from oh, Egypt, for example. I also, since Remelson has been living with us, I've also come to love Haitian cuisine. They have this amazing uh, blend of spices that is unlike any other blend of spices that, uh, that I have had before. And so we made a trip last week. Um, Last Friday, we went to Louisville, where the only authentic Haitian restaurant that we know of in Kentucky is located, and um, I decided to get something I'd never gotten before, which was oxtail. And so, I tried my oxtail, and Remelson said, what do you think? And I was a little iffy, huh? I don't know about the oxtail. Well, we brought some home, the leftovers, and uh, the next day he said, you know, I know why you didn't like the oxtail. You didn't put the sauce on it. And sure enough, they'd sent me home with this little tiny container of sauce. And I dumped the sauce on the oxtail. And by golly, it was good. <laughs> I like oxtail after all, or at least, at the very least, I like oxtail sauce. 
I don't know who got the oxtail when Elisha slaughtered his oxen and gave it to the people. But this calling is intensified with Jesus. The disciples don't even go back to their parents and say goodbye. They, they simply come. Now in fairness, the first half of the book of Mark, like everything is taking place in the region of Galilee. And so it's possible that they came into contact with their family and friends for, for some time as they were ministering in the region of Galilee. But, but it's very different. It's an intensification of this call that Elijah offers to Elisha. So we have the brothers, the brothers Simon and Andrew. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Well, fishing for people, it it sounds clear enough. You've got this whole bunch of people and you're, and you're snatching one out of the ocean. You're snatching one out of, of danger. But, but folks, understand that in the Old Testament, fishing for people had a very different kind of connotation than it has in the New Testament. Look, for example, at Jeremiah 16. Fishing for people is, is judgment. The Lord says, I am sending for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall catch the wicked, those who are trying to escape. And afterwards I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. In the Old Testament, fishing for people is judgment. Look at Amos. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness... The time is surely coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks. Even the last of you with fish hooks. And we can't forget about Habakkuk. You have made people like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. The enemy brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his seine. He rejoices and he exalts. But Jesus turns this image upside down. Inside out. No longer is fishing for people an act of judgment. An act of hunting down those who have sinned or turned from God. Fishing for people takes on an entirely different connotation. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. All the sinister undertones of the Old Testament passages are turned around. For Jesus' disciple, catching people means salvation. It means rescuing them from worldliness, from the muck and the mire of sin. It means a change of life. Sometimes for the disciples... For example, it means a change of vocation, their job because of following Jesus. For every one of us as believers in Jesus, it means turning from the course that would have us crash against the rocks 
and turn toward the safe harbor of God's unflinching love. Being caught by Jesus means salvation, joy, abundant life, eternal life, holiness, wholeness. And if we didn't get it the first time, there's a repetition. Simon and Andrew are followed by the call of James and John as Jesus goes a little further along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He sees James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John who were in their boats mending their nets. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. It's time. It's not just 12.02 p.m. It's time. It's the right time. It is the Kairos moment. It's the moment when God is calling to us. It's time. It's time to stop running. It's time to drop whatever is holding you back and say yes to Jesus. It's time to repent and believe the gospel. It's time to put away the shiny playthings that the world offers to us and embrace your identity as one of God's children. It's time to stop playing at Christianity. And become a Christian through and through. It's time to put aside that bitter fruit that your life is yielding. And embrace the fruit of the Spirit that God's Spirit will fill you with. It's time to say no to the sin that's had you in its grip for so, so long. And be snatched up to salvation by the gospel of Jesus. It's time to stop sniping and griping and bless the world. It's time to get up like Peter and Andrew, James and John, and get out of the boat and follow Jesus. Get up from in front of the television. Take your phone and put it down and get up from worrying about likes and retweets. Step away from our silliness and from our sulking and our preoccupation with ourselves and follow Jesus. I don't care if you're old or if you're young. I don't care if you have a PhD or if you never finished high school. I don't care if you have made a series of wonderful life choices and things seem pretty good for you or if your life has been a total catastrophe. It's time. It's time to repent and believe the gospel. It's time to get up and follow Jesus. And it's time to put everything else in its place so that you may serve your Master and your Lord 
with all your being. It's time to let Jesus show you what real living means. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.